Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Savior Said. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Savior Said. This is the assignment for February 3rd through 9th. 2 Nephi 1-5. through We've made it to 2 Nephi, y'all. We made it through 1 Nephi. We are now on 2 Nephi. This week, it's all about Lehi, Lehi's last words to his sons, and then also Nephi talking a little bit about how God has sustained him, and then they split from the Lamanites. So all kinds of interesting stuff happening this week. Um, Starting off with Come Follow Me, in the introduction, it says, if you knew your life was coming to an end, what final messages would you want to share with those you love most? Um, this is something I started thinking about because, <laughs> and I don't know if this is just really like morbid or what, but I always think about my funeral and <laughs> I'm like, what songs do I want played at my funeral? And what people do I want to speak? And yeah, so I know that's a little like dark, but that I think about that like pretty regularly. Um, I'm just, I guess it's because I just wonder what, you know, I could leave on this earth to people and what kind of like influence I had on people's lives, you know. But some of the things that come to me is, you know, my favorite hymn, Master the Tempest is Raging. I definitely would love to have them sing that at my funeral. And the reason why is because it bears such a strong testimony of Christ being there for us in the middle of whatever storms and tempests are happening in our lives. And that is something that I would love to leave to my loved ones after I've left this earth is that Christ is there and he will be there. And that's something I think I would tell them. Lehi kind of tells them something similar to that. I wrote down a whole list of stuff of what I would tell my loved ones. First thing is that I love them, that I am always with them, that I love them so much. The second thing that I would tell them is that Jesus Christ is the Savior and to turn to him when you are facing those whirlwinds and those battles and the storms of life, turn to him, find him, and hold on to him. Another thing is that there is goodness and magic in the world, even if sometimes you have to be the goodness and magic. So continue to be the goodness and magic in other people's lives and you will find goodness and magic in your own. Another thing is to be grateful for the freedom that you have and that you enjoy. To be grateful for those who sacrifice to give you that freedom, whether it be Jesus Christ or whether it be, you know, soldiers like founding fathers, whoever it is that has put their lives on the line to give you that freedom, be grateful for it and thank them and serve them in the best way you know how by using that freedom to continue on to spread the light, spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and do everything you can to serve him. Um, Finally, the last thing I would want them to know is that reading is important. Books are good. Like, yes, thumbs up for reading. Because that's pretty much my whole life is all about books and promoting books and promoting literacy, especially in kids. So um, that that's what I would probably leave to them. But that's a very Lexi flavored, like these are my final words things. Whereas we go in this week and we're reading and it's very Lehigh flavored, you know, his final word things. And he talks a lot about the plan of salvation. 
Adam and Eve and men fell that, you know, they might be and men are that they might have joy and all that stuff like that. So I think in his particular instance, he had specific people that he was talking to in his family. And he's like, yeah, Laman and Lemuel, y'all are falling, but you can still get back up again. Here's the plan of salvation. Let's talk about it. And Jacob, you're watching your older brothers, but I really want you to watch the good ones and be like them. So know that if you fall, you don't have to be like Laman and Lemuel and live with them. You can still go with Sam and Nephi and, you know, stuff like that. So he had some really good words, I think, for that, of counsel for them. We're going to talk a little bit about some of Lehi's words of counsel. Starting off with the first section in Come Follow Me, and this is 2 Nephi 2, chapter 2, I am free to choose eternal life. And it starts off with a quote from Elder D. Todd Christofferson. And I went and I found the original source of the quote, and it's even better, I think, than the little excerpt we get in Come Follow Me. So we're going to read the whole thing here. Well, not the whole talk. We're going to read like the whole paragraph that it comes from. Okay, here we go. God intends that his children should act according to the moral agency he has given them, that every man may be accountable for his own sins in the day of judgment. It is his plan and his will that we have the principal decision-making role in our own life's drama. God will not live our lives for us, nor control us as if we were his puppets, as Lucifer once proposed to do. Nor will his prophets accept the role of puppet master in God's place. Brigham Young stated, I do not wish any Latter-day Saint in this world, nor in heaven, to be satisfied with anything I do, unless the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Revelation, makes them satisfied. I wish them to know for themselves and understand for themselves. Okay, I think that's so important because a lot of times our detractors for our church say we're a cult or that we've been brainwashed or, you know, that, that that's just the way you've been brought up to believe the prophet and to do whatever he says. And no, because here's the thing is if you truly believe this church and you truly believe everything it teaches and you truly believe about agency, you truly believe that you have a responsibility to know the truth of these things, not just to blindly follow somebody, but to know for our own, our own testimony that what we're doing is true, right? Every single point of doctrine, we have been encouraged to pray and find out if it is true. So no, it's not blindly following somebody. It's not, you know, just someone says it's true. My parents have brought me up this way, so I believe it myself. And no, it's not, you know, sometimes we think question asking is, you know, discouraged, but no, It's good to ask questions. It helps strengthen your testimony when you ask questions of the Lord and you go search in the right places for the answers that you need to find. Um, Churchofjesuschrist.org is like my favorite place to find answers like that. You know, I try not to Google stuff because I'm like, it gets real weird real fast. But churchofjesuschrist.org, any of the other church websites, any of the church doctrine type places, go to there for answers. Seek the answers to the questions that you have and you will find them. Even if the answer is, don't worry about it now. I got this. Sometimes God will tell you that. But we have a responsibility for our own testimonies to build them. And that's why one of the reasons it's so great to have agency, because we do have that responsibility to choose and choose correctly. We are responsible for ourselves and for our own gospel learning. All right, going back into Come Follow Me, it says, in his teachings about agency, Lehi identified essential conditions that make agency possible and enable us to reach our divine potential. This includes the following. Number one, a knowledge of good and evil. Number two, a law given to mankind. Both of those come from 2 Nephi chapter 2, verse 5, which is, And men are instructed that they know good from evil, and the law is given unto men. 
and by the law no flesh is justified, or by the law men are cut off. Yea, by the temporal law they were cut off, and also by the spiritual law they perish from that which is good, and become miserable forever. Okay, so again, knowledge of good and evil, and a law given to mankind. We have to know what's right and wrong, and we also have to know that there's a law, and we will be judged by that law. That's what Lehi is saying there. Three, we need to have opposing, enticing choices. There's not just a clearly defined right and wrong. Otherwise, the plan becomes very similar to Lucifer's plan. Um, If it's so easy to choose between right and wrong, then we're just going to choose right every single time. And that kind of takes, you know, the agency out of it. It takes the learning out of it. Yeah, there's got to be opposing, enticing choices. Um, There's got to be sometimes where not necessarily the choices are enticing, but it's just they're muddled. Like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And you've got to really ponder it out in your mind because you learn a lot that way. So you know, there's got to be opposing choices. So that's from 2 Nephi 2, 11, and it's for it needs be that there is an opposition in all things. If not so, my firstborn in the wilderness, righteousness could not be brought to pass, neither wickedness, neither holiness, nor misery, neither good nor bad. Wherefore, all things must needs be a compound in one. Wherefore, if it should be one body, it must remain as dead, having no life, neither death nor corruption, nor incorruption, happiness, nor misery, neither sense nor insensibility. Number four is the power to act. And this is from 2 Nephi 2.16. Wherefore, the Lord God gave unto men that he should act for himself. Wherefore, man could not act for himself, save it should be that he was enticed by the one or the other. So we have been set up in this grand scheme with all like a multitude of choices. And I think now the age that we live in has so many more choices than even Nephi had in his particular day and age. So I think we have like so many choices and so many of those choices are good. And so many of the choices are bad, but then there are choices that are the best choices. And I used to have a principle that would say all the time that good is the enemy of best. Sometimes I think we settle for just what is good when we could be seeking after what is best. So not only is there the opposite, bad and good, but there's also kind of like an in-between mediocre kind of choices there too. So we have like lots and lots of choices that we can make. And that is how we learn. It's how we grow. It's how we come closer to our Heavenly Father. But then with the times that we fall, like that, and I think, oh, okay, I'm going to go off on a whole spiel here, guys. I'm sorry. It's I just have to. So I think sometimes... We get so upset that we are not living up to the measure of perfection that our Father in Heaven has set for us, okay? Sometimes I think we feel like we fall short constantly, and we do. That's reality. But we were also not sent here to be perfect. Like, we came to this world not to be perfect. That's not going to be achieved in this life. That's achieved in the next life, right? What did we come here to do? We came here to, number one, any primary kid can tell you have a body, and number two, to learn. We need to learn how to use that body. And so that's what we're doing in this life. We're making mistakes. We're learning from them. And then we're growing as we make those mistakes. We're growing as we learn hard to go through hard things, that we can do hard things. We're learning as we learn to stick close to our Savior, as the whirlwinds and the waves crash around us. We're learning every time we mess up, every time we sin, and we come back to our Heavenly Father, the joy of repentance that we wouldn't know otherwise. You know, we are not here to be perfect. And I think it's so important to know that, that when we are flawed and we are imperfect and we are sometimes just not good, that it's okay. That's why we're here. And that's how we learn to become better. 
You know, if men come unto me, I will show them their weaknesses. I give unto men weaknesses that they will become strong. Like that's why we're here. We're here to have human weaknesses and human foibles so that we can come to God and we can become stronger. So that's kind of what Lehi is talking about here. You know, I think about the times in my life, you know, I'm thinking about the opposition thing. There must be opposition in all things where I think I'm like, oh, I wish, you know, I had it better or whatever. And then something happens and I'm like, oh, no, I really didn't realize like how good I actually had it. You know, like the most recent, I guess, opportunity that presented itself this way was I was a librarian at a large middle school. And I thought, you know, days were stressful and stuff like that. But I had a co-librarian. So there was two of us in there. And, you know, we could go to the bathroom whenever we wanted to. That was like a luxury we didn't even know we had. Um, Whenever one of us was like busy, the other one could cover classes. Whenever one of us was doing something, the other one could check out kids. Like we didn't have to rely on volunteers or anything like that. Our schedule, while it was busy and packed, wasn't like cram-packed. I mean, we had time to do stuff. And then this past year, you know, the population in the school dropped to where there weren't two librarian positions anymore. And I went my way off to the school I'm at now. And the other librarian, she had seniority. So she stayed there at the school that we were at. And both of us, like we get together for lunch and dinner and we were like, we didn't know what we had. It was so good. And we didn't even realize how good it was. Like we could go to the bathroom whenever we wanted to. And now we have to wait until like we have a break and, you know, it could be four or five hours and um, (laughs) just things like that. Like I have to rely on volunteers to be there so that to cover while I'm teaching classes. And, you know, on my days cram packed full of kids, like nonstop. And it's just a little bit different from what I was used to. And she's experiencing the same thing, you know, and we didn't have to do that before. So um, it's just, I didn't realize how good I had it until now, you know? So that's something I've, I've learned about. It's also, I think about health, health issues and stuff like that. Sometimes when, you know, you just been feeling yuck for a while and then you go to the doctor and they're like, oh yeah, you have pneumonia or whatever. And they give you an antibiotic and you're like, oh my gosh, I did not realize how awful I had been feeling until I felt better, you know? Or I think about like before you get glasses and everything's blurry, but you don't know it's blurry, right? You just think that's normal. And then you put glasses on. I remember when I was in fourth grade and I got glasses for the first time and I turned to my mom and I'm like, the trees have leaves. And she's like, well, yes, Lexi, the trees have always had leaves. I'm like, I know, but now I can see the leaves. They're not green blobs anymore. There's actual leaves on the tree. And it just changed my perspective, right? So a lot of times I knew the leaves were there. I, you know, I had a testimony the leaves were there. I'd seen them close up, but it wasn't until I put my glasses on that I could clearly make out the leaves and what they meant in their relationship to me, right? So it's that opposition that we need. And that's, also what made me so grateful for my glasses and grateful for eyewear and contacts and things like that and modern ophthalmology that makes me so grateful for that because I know without it the trees would be giant green blurs okay so that opposition makes me incredibly grateful for when things go good and it also helps me know that when things are bad things will eventually get good again that's important to note too because sometimes especially when you're dealing with mental illness like depression or anxiety it is very, very easy to feel like nothing will ever be good again. Like you've sunk into this valley and you feel like you're just going to be in the valley for the rest of your life. But we know there is opposition in all things. So you may be at the bottom of this pit in this valley, but there's going to be at some point in your life where there's going to be opposition to that and the light will come back in. And if you can hold on to that moment when the light comes back in and when happiness comes back in, And if you can hold on and seek for that, 
You know, as Dumbledore says, happiness can be found in the darkest of times if one only remembers to turn on the light. If you seek for that light switch, it won't come immediately. It may not come without help of therapy or medication, but the opposition, the law of opposition says, if you're in the darkness, eventually there will be light. And so not only do we need to remember good times, like the bad times that help make the good times good, but also that when we're in bad times, that good times are coming. And I think that's a blessing of the law of opposition as well. Okay, so I go back into Come Follow Me and I realize like we've just talked about the next three questions it asks. So the next three questions that we just talked about was, what do you learn about each of these conditions of agency and their relationship to each other? What would happen to our agency if one or more of these conditions were missing? Life would just be blah, right? And what else do you learn about agency from Lehi's words? So that's kind of what I, I talked about. So something else I learned from Lehi's words is I was really interested by the phrase, act and not be acted upon. And what did that mean? And I will tell you also, when I was younger, I was like maybe eight or nine years old, my mom went through this like phase where she would buy us books or books on tape and just like things like that from Deseret Book or wherever, if it had our names in it. So my mom was at Deseret Book or something like that. I don't know. She's at some LDS bookstore somewhere. And she found this tape and it was called Letters to Lexi. And it was like a fireside that had been recorded and put on tape and Deseret Book was selling it and letters to Lexi. She had no idea what it was even about. She just bought it because it had my name in it. And so I got it for like my ninth or 10th birthday somewhere in there, some beehive kind of age birthday, right? And so I remember listening to this little fireside on tape and I don't remember anything else from the entire thing, what it was about. It's about some guy who's writing letters to his granddaughter, Lexi, I think it was what it was. And the only thing I remember for this whole thing was that he had a song in it. And it was like, I'm here to act, not be acted upon. I'm not here to be judged by the number of times I fail, but the number of times I succeed. Keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. And so that phrase, act and not be acted upon, always kind of triggers that memory in my mind of that tape, Letters to Lexi. So I always remember that. Now, the actual phrase, act and not be acted upon, what does it mean? Like that's kind of, I had kind of an idea of what it meant, that We are not the sum of the outside forces and the outside environment that comes upon us. Instead, it's our behavior and the choices that we make. Hey, there's another Harry Potter quote that we can work in. It's our choices that show who we truly are far more than our abilities. There's another Dumbledore quote for you right there. But that the outside forces that impact us, that are acting upon us, that's not who we are. Who we are is the choices that we make. Like That's kind of like the idea that I had in my mind. But I found another really good quote about it. It's from James E. Faust, October 1995, The Priesthood Session. He says, Each of us must take the responsibility for the moral decisions we make in life about how close we live to the edge. Lehi states, And because that they are redeemed from the fall, they have become free forever, knowing good from evil, to act for themselves and not be acted upon. Being acted upon means somebody else is pulling the strings. That's James E. Faustus' words, not Lexi's, okay? He continues, We live in a time when many want to avoid the responsibility for their acts. When I was a young lawyer, I was appointed by judges to defend persons who were charged with infractions of the law. From these experiences, I learned that some individuals did not think they were responsible or guilty in any way, even though they had violated a law. They felt they were not to be blamed. They had abdicated their consciences. They may have committed the wrongful act, but they felt it was really their parents' fault because they were not properly taught, or it was society's fault because they were never given a chance in life. 
So often, they had some reason or excuse for blaming their actions on someone or something else rather than accepting the responsibility for their own actions. They did not act for themselves, but they were acted upon. Interesting to me. That's so, so interesting because I see it a lot with our youth, especially where they do something wrong and it's like everybody else's fault in the world. Everybody else's fault in the world, but theirs, right? Everybody else messed up. They did nothing wrong. I even see it with my own kid. Like he comes home, he's like, oh, the teachers were all in such bad moods today. And I'm like, well, what did you do? He's like, I was just talking to so-and-so and they like yelled at me. And I'm like, well, were you supposed to be talking? No, but I just had to ask this one. I'm like, then you weren't supposed to be talking. You didn't just have to ask that one question. You had to sit there and be quiet and do your work. I'm like, I know what was going on in the teacher's head. I know why they yelled at you because this was probably like the hundredth time that you just, just had to ask a question, right? So. I see that a lot. It's never their fault. They never take ownership for it. So, I mean, there are times in the middle of library lessons where we like stop and I'm like, okay, hold on. I know, I know you think it's not your fault, but we need to talk about owning up to our choices. And that's kind of what Lehi's talking about here, owning up to our choices. It's not our parents' fault for the way we were raised. It's not society's fault for the way we were raised and the, you know, different things that we had access to that maybe others didn't or that we didn't have access to that others did. We were given a set of circumstances, and it was our responsibility for the way that we reacted to those circumstances. Yes, we were given maybe certain gifts and skills, and maybe in some cases we were not given certain gifts and skills, but we are solely responsible for the way we act, you know, not the way that things turn out. Um, We're not judged by the number of times that we fail, but the number of times we succeed, right? And so I see that a lot in Lehi's talk this week. You know, this reminded me a lot, too, his story about being in the courtroom and people not taking responsibility for their own actions. I was listening to an autobiography a couple of months ago, um, and this particular person was part of a movement to abolish the death sentence. And they made the statement that people who are on death row, who are waiting for the death sentence, a lot of times it's not their fault. Um, A lot of times society has failed them, the system has failed them, their families have failed them, and that's why they're there. And I remember thinking, listening to that, and being like, well, yes, they may have had a poor upbringing, the system may have failed them, society may have failed them, yes, but at the end, they were the ones who committed whatever act that got them on death row, right? Um, And this is not about capital punishment at all, death penalty at all, like you can be wherever you are on that particular subject. I'm not going to try and guide you either way. I'm just saying like when I heard that phrase, I was like, you know what? No, like they're not being acted upon. They need to act. It was their choice to act. And so it just struck me as a, a wrong statement. So I see that very similarly to what James E. Faust said. It just reminded me of that. So anyways, we are here to act and not be acted upon. That's what Lehi says. And if we go back into 2 Nephi 2, 24 and 25, 25 is the famous one that gets quoted all the time. Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. But if we rewind back up into 24, behold, all things have been done in the wisdom of him who knoweth all things. Okay, I think Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. Yes. That is super important doctrine, but almost equally important is that all things have been done in the wisdom of him who knows all things. Everything that has been done in your life has been done by someone who knows everything, who knows you better than you know yourself, who knows me better than I know myself. All the people in my life that have been put in my life, that have all the opportunities I've been given to act and not be acted upon, all the different choices that I have made 
the way that the different pieces of my life have been put together so I have those choices to be made, you know, there's someone up there that knows everything and gives me the opportunity to make those choices. You know, so I'm the one pulling the strings, but my Father in Heaven is guiding me there. The other thing is, Father in Heaven is guiding us, but He will never, ever, ever force us to choose the right. That's part of the deal, is that we are never, ever forced by Him to choose the right. That's, again, that's Lucifer's plan, right? So we are always, always given the opportunity to choose. He'll move things as much as He can in our direction. And I have to think, as much as He loves us, He does everything He can for our best interest. Like there's never a time where he's like, oh, I'm just going to phone it in on this one, Lexi, you're on your own. Like, right. Or he's like, oh, well, I guess, you know, I'll kind of try to help you out here. Maybe like there is no try. He does everything he can. He meets every expectation every time to do what's in our best interest. So then in those moments where I sit back and I'm like, why, Emily, Father, why is it this way? Like, what have you done to me? You know, I got to think he is doing everything in his power to bring to pass good in my life. And so if I'm going through something that is just awful, then there's got to be a reason behind it. Whether it's, you know, an opposition experience where I'm learning that, yeah, things will be better. Maybe they're really bad now, but eventually things will be better. And I'm learning to take things that I took for granted. I'm learning to take them much more seriously. Or maybe there's a lesson I need to learn over whatever it is that I'm going through. But that lesson in opposition the lesson in it all happening in the knowledge of him who knoweth all things. Those were two big things that stuck out to me this week as I was reading my scriptures. And so I wanted to share both of those with you. Ne- up next is a section that's one of my favorite topics. It's Second Nephi 2, 22 through 29. The fall and the atonement of Jesus Christ are essential parts of Heavenly Father's plan. Many see the fall of Adam and Eve as a tragic event. However, Lehi's teachings about the fall reveal why it was necessary as part of the Father's plan for our eternal progression. As you read these verses, look for why the fall needed to happen in order for us, Heavenly Father's children, to progress. How did the Savior's atoning sacrifice redeem us from the fall? Okay, so it also says to see gospel topics fall of Adam and Eve. There's good stuff there too. So we learn a lot about the fall here in in Father Lehi's verses. So let's roll on up into 2 Nephi chapter 2. Let's look at verse 22. And now behold, if Adam had not transgressed, he would not have fallen, but he would have remained in the Garden of Eden. And all things which were created must have remained in the same state in which they were ever after created, and they would have remained forever and had no end. And they would have had no children, wherefore they would have remained in a state of innocence, having no joy, for they knew no misery, doing no good, for they knew no sin. And then it goes on into, behold, all these things have been done in the wisdom of him who knoweth all things. So I don't know if I've just, I did like an insane amount of laundry yesterday. So as I was reading these verses, like this is the metaphor that kind of came to my head as I'm reading this. So Adam and Eve, they're in the Garden of Eden and they're kind of like stuck on the internal rinse cycle. Like they're just going round and around and around and around. And they're just like constantly just rinse and spin, rinse and spin. Like that's kind of what they're doing there in the Garden of Eden. And so it wasn't until the fall that they were taken out of the washer and they were put into the dryer and the clothes can then progress from the dryer to be folded, to be put away. Right. So instead they were just in this eternal spin cycle. Again, guys, I've been doing so much laundry. Like that's, that's where my head is at. So that's kind of really what I saw. But again, 
I talked about this before on the podcast in my other episodes, especially when we went into the Pauline epistles, we talked about this, my very um, Lexi views on Adam and Eve. So this is not gospel doctrine. Do not take this as gospel doctrine. This is Lexi's version of the gospel, like gospel according to Lexi. But I feel very strongly that Eve knew what she was doing. Um, Maybe not the full extent of what she was doing, but I felt like Eve definitely had some leanings towards taking a bite of the apple. I think Satan enticed her. I think he definitely like put some ideas into her head. But I think in the end, she was like, okay, so this needs to happen. And there may have been other forces at play. You know, women in general have a natural drive for children. And so she may be like feeling after something she didn't even know what she was missing, but she was feeling after that emptiness in her life, right? And she was trying to find an answer for that. And I think the whole knowing good from evil thing kind of fit into that a little bit. Um, You know, I'm sure, you know, she was in a state of childlike innocence, so she probably couldn't even put words to that and that longing and that emotion. But I think that she had an inkling of what was going on. I think it wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to eat this apple, duh, because the snake told me to. Like, no, the entire like human race and human existence was not just like a duh moment, okay? That's what's so important to know about this is that the fall happened on purpose. And, you know, I this is one of the questions that I used to like plague my dad with like growing up and he never had an answer that was satisfactory for me. So I had to like come up with it on my own. But I was like, why? Why did Heavenly Father set up this little experiment in the Garden of Eden where you had Adam and Eve and they had the two commandments? Don't eat from the fruit of the tree of good and evil but multiply and replenish the earth. And they could not fulfill either one of those without disobeying the other commandment. I mean, they were in like the original catch 22 position, right? And I was like, why would, why would Heavenly Father do that, Dad? Like, why would Heavenly Father do that? I mean, we went round and round and round about this for years. And the thing I finally kind of have, have come to realize is that Heavenly Father never willingly pulls away from us. I don't think he ever willingly pulls away from us. So for us to fall and become mortal and have this mortal existence, we had to choose to pull away from him. And for whatever reason, Adam and Eve, I don't know if we like elected them as our representatives in the pre-mortal realm or what, but for whatever reason, Adam and Eve were our proxies who pulled away from Heavenly Father and started this mortal existence and this mortal journey for us. Um, and then, of course, we knew that we had the Savior on the opposite end who would then redeem us from this pulling away that Adam and Eve started. And we continue every day of our life that we sin or that we fall short of the goodness of God, even though we're learning and even though we're moving along the path, and that's what mortality is for. Every time we fall short of the perfection that our Heavenly Father has you know, in store for us, we pull away from God. But then we go to Christ and he pulls us back to God. And it's kind of like this tug of war of opposition in our lives. You know, we have to have that ability to make those mistakes. So we do learn and we do progress, but it pulls us away from our father. So our savior is there to pull us back to our father. And that's really the role I see of the atonement in our lives is when we do mess up, when we do fall short, the savior is there. We can turn to him. We can rely on him and through his goodness and his grace and his mercy, we can come back to our heavenly father again. And that redeems us from the fall. If we go into gospel topics in the fall of Adam and Eve, it says, just as we do not really desire food until we are hungry, we will not fully desire eternal salvation until we recognize our need for the savior. This recognition comes as we grow in our understanding of the fall. As the prophet Lehi taught, 
all mankind were in a lost and fallen state and ever would be saved, they should rely on this Redeemer. And that's from 1 Nephi 10, 6. So I think that's really interesting too. You know, there's never, never a reason to sin. Absolutely not. But when we do, one of the benefits of repentance is that we realize how amazing our Savior is and how much we need him. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, There's all kinds of opposition, all kinds of goodness that comes from opposition, I think. Okay, the next section I'm really, really excited about, guys. Okay, so going through and reading the Book of Mormon in seminary. I remember, I think it was my senior year that we did the Book of Mormon. And I remember going through and doing my seminary reading and being like, yeah, 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 they're in the wilderness. They're marching around. And then getting to this chapter, 2 Nephi 4, and hitting the end of that chapter and being like, whoa, Nephi is a poet. Like all along, he's been giving us like a narrative and every now and then we got some gospel doctrine, but then we hit like the streak of just like pure poetry from Nephi and it's gorgeous poetry. So I absolutely love this poetry from Nephi. So uh, we're going to go in and read a little bit of it. Sorry, guys. I know you sometimes get tired of me reading, I bet, but I just love this poetry so much. Okay, so we're going to go in and read it. This is right after Lehi has died. So Nephi is now stuck leading this family that was already kind of fractured and falling apart. His father has died, so he's mourning that. And then he's worried about how he's going to take charge of this family. And he is just like, you know, kind of in that not good place. Opposition all things, he's kind of in a dark valley right now. But we go and we see, starting in verse 16, and he kind of is talking about the scriptures, but then he launches into this gorgeous like soliloquy about God. So here we go. In 16, we're going to start. Behold, my soul delighteth in the things of the Lord. And my heart pondereth continually upon the things which I have seen and heard. Nevertheless, notwithstanding the great goodness of the Lord in showing me his great and marvelous works, my heart exclaimeth, O wretched man that I am, yea, my heart sorroweth because of my flesh, my soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. I am encompassed about because of the temptations and the sins which do so easily beset me. Okay, pause, just real quick. Um, I'm super curious as to what sins Nephi was dealing with. I know that has nothing neither here nor there. That is just me being super nosy, which is one of my faults also. But I really wonder what he struggled with. I mean, you're in the middle of like the wilderness. What is there really to be tempting you by? I mean, I guess you'd want to like clobber your brothers or something, but I don't know. I'm just so curious as to what those were. But that's, again, me being nosy. Anyways, unpause, continuing on. And when I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. My God hath been my support, and he hath led me through mine afflictions in the wilderness, and he hath preserved me upon the waters of the great deep. He hath filled me with his love, even unto the consuming of my flesh. He hath confounded my enemies unto the causing them to quake before me. Behold, he hath heard my cry by day, and he hath given me knowledge by visions in the nighttime. And by day I have waxed bold in mighty prayer before him. Yea, my voice I have sent up on high, and angels came down and ministered unto me. And upon the wings of his spirit hath my body been carried, away upon exceedingly high mountains. And mine eyes have beheld great things, yea, even too great for man. Wherefore I was bidden that I should not write them. Oh, then, if I have seen so great things, if the Lord in his condescension unto the children of men hath visited men in so much mercy, Why should my heart weep and my soul linger in the valley of sorrow and my flesh waste away and my strength slacken because of my afflictions? Okay, pause. So 
If you are ever like, why do I keep having these pity parties? Like I'm having such a hard time and things are really hard. And I, I know that I believe in God and I believe in Jesus Christ and his goodness and mercy. Like, why am I still like having such a hard time? Like Nephi felt the same. He's like, same, same. I feel you. So Nephi's been there. Don't, don't ever feel like you're alone in this. Okay. 27 and pause. And why should I yield to sin because of my flesh? Again, what was he sinning, guys? Like, I'm so curious. Yea, why should I give way to temptations that the evil one have placed in my heart to destroy my peace and afflict my soul? Why am I angry because of my enemy? Awake, my soul, no longer droop in sin. Rejoice, O my heart, and give place no more for the enemy of my soul. Do not anger again because of my enemies. Do not slacken my strength because of my afflictions. Rejoice, O my heart. And cry unto the Lord and say, O Lord, I will praise thee forever. Yea, my soul will rejoice in thee, my God and the rock of my salvation. O Lord, wilt thou redeem my soul? Wilt thou deliver me out of the hands of my enemies? Wilt thou make me that I shake at the appearance of sin? May the gates of hell be shut continually before me, because that my heart is broken and my spirit is contrite. O Lord, wilt thou not shut the gates of thy righteousness before me? that I may walk in the path of the low valley, that I may be strict in the plain road. O Lord, will thou encircle me around in the robe of thy righteousness? O Lord, will thou make a way of mine escape before my enemies? Will thou make my path straight before me? Will thou not place a stumbling block in my way, but that thou would clear up my way before me and hedge not up my way, but the ways of my enemy? O Lord, I have trusted in thee, and I will trust in thee forever. I will not put my trust in the arm of flesh, for I know that cursed is he that putteth his trust in the arm of flesh. Yea, cursed is he that putteth his trust in man, or maketh flesh his arm. Yea, I know God will give liberally to him that asketh. Yea, my God will give me if I ask not amiss. Therefore, I will lift up my voice unto thee. Yea, I will cry unto thee, my God, the rock of my righteousness. Behold, my voice shall forever ascend up unto thee, my rock and my everlasting God. Amen. Okay. So, and Nephi. Um, yes. How powerful is that? Okay. Okay. Just right now, I'm saying, you know, I constantly think about my funeral. Um, I just want anyone out there listening to know that if I ever die, I want this red at my funeral. Okay. Can I just have that? Can I have that done? Um, because this is like gorgeous. Like this is totally how I feel you know, God, you are there for me. And will you please always be there for me? And I know I can trust you. And I know that you have led me through the days and the nights of my life. And you've been there for me in my wildernesses and upon the great deep. What a beautiful, powerful testimony of Nephi. Um, If any of you are like musical at all, someone set this to music because it's gorgeous. Um, I want to see it set to music. So there's the challenge for y'all, okay? Um, anyone who's musical out there, set this to music because it's just so beautiful. Okay, there's two more sections that I want to briefly touch on. Um, the next one is 2 Nephi 5, happiness is found in living the gospel. How do you define happiness? Nephi wrote that his people lived after the manner of happiness. Okay, so this is after they've split off from the Lamanites and they are working together and they're living together. They're choosing the right. On the whole, they are just having a manner of happiness kind of like couple of decades there. I think it was like 30 years or so. One of the things that came to me, what did Nephi and his people need to do to live in a manner of happiness is of course they were choosing the right and making right choices just in general, the majority of the time, I guess you could say. And they were setting things up in a righteous way and following 
the gospel and things like that. But one of the most important things I think that happened before all this manner of happiness happened is they split off from the Lamanites. They recognized that the Lamanites had become a dangerous, detrimental force in their life. Um, And I would say to anyone out there who has maybe friends or coworkers or even sometimes I think family members you have, because this was Nephi's brothers that he had to do this to, who are a detrimental force in your life to the point of maybe like there was physical abuse going on between them and Nephi and like Nephi's family and his side of the family. There was abuse going on. There was verbal abuse. You know, when it gets to that point, separating yourself from that negative impact upon your life, I think is very important. Um, There's been very few times in my life where I've had to ID someone and be like, okay, I don't need you in my life anymore. There's very, very few times that I've ever had to do that. But I do. Like, there's been a few times where I'm like, okay, you are not good for me. Like, you are not good for me. You do not bring me closer to the Savior. And every time around you, it is just bad for me. Like, there's been a few people I've had to walk away from because of that. So, I don't know. That's that's an awful lesson, I think, to take from this particular section of Scripture. But it's really what came to my mind this week. Is I'm like, yeah, they lived in a manner of happiness after they left Laman and Lemuel. So, I don't know. I don't know if someone needed to hear that and that's just why it came to my mind or if I need to, I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, that's what I got from that section this week. Okay. This last section is like the big old giant elephant that's been sitting in the room, like the whole episode, I feel. It was from the very beginning. I saw what this assignment was and I was like, oh boy. (laughs) Oh boy. All right. So the section that I'm particularly concerned about is 2 Nephi 5, 20 through 21. Let's go in and read that together, shall we? Let's shall. Here we go. Wherefore, the word of the Lord was fulfilled, which he spake unto me, saying, Inasmuch as they will not hearken unto thy words, they shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. And behold, they were cut off from the presence of the Lord. And he had caused the cursing to come upon them, yea, even a sore cursing because of their iniquity. For behold, they were hardened in their hearts against him, that they had become like unto flint. Wherefore, as they were white and exceedingly fair and delightsome, that they might not be enticing unto my people, the Lord God did cause a skin of blackness to come upon them. Okay, so the scriptures themselves right there, it's kind of like, ooh, okay, that's a little touchy. The whole skin of blackness thing, I just don't, you know, it makes me a little nervous. Um, But even more interesting, guys, and I'm pointing this out for your own personal Come Follow Me study, the manual, if you are using like the print manual, is totally different from the online version of Come Follow Me. You need to know that. The online Come Follow Me is much more updated than the manual. The manual has like one little paragraph and a little quote. I think it's from Joseph F. Smith. And then you go to the online manual and there's like a big old giant paragraph and it's got some words from Russell M. Nelson at the Worldwide Priesthood Celebration. They've added that on there. And I think that's really important. Anytime we talk about like color of skin, racial stuff, I feel like it's very important to go with what the most modern and up-to-date information that we have from our church leaders is. So it says, what was the curse that came upon the Lamanites? In Nephi's day, the curse of the Lamanites was that they were cut off from the Lord's presence because of their iniquity. I think it's important to point that out. The curse was not the color of their skin. The curse was that they were cut off from the Lord. That was the curse. Okay. This meant that the spirit of the Lord was withdrawn from their lives When they later embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, that curse of God no longer followed them. And honestly, there was so much times where like, you know, 
the good guys, the gospel guys, I guess, the ones who are following the gospel, switch back and forth from the Nephites to the Lamanites to the Nephites to the Lamanites. I mean, so that curse follows whoever is not following the gospel of Christ, right? Okay, continuing on with Come Follow Me. The Book of Mormon also states that a mark of dark skin came upon the Lamanites after the Nephites separated from them. The nature and appearance of this mark are not fully understood. The mark initially distinguished the Lamanites from the Nephites. Later, as both the Nephites and Lamanites each went through periods of wickedness and righteousness, the mark became irrelevant as the indicator of the Lamanites standing before God. Prophets affirm in our day that dark skin is not a sign of divine disfavor or cursing. The church embraces Nephi's teaching that the Lord denieth none that come unto him black and white, bond and free, male and female. And also that comes from 2 Nephi 26, 33, which is several chapters after this whole cursing takes place. So the Lord denieth none that come unto him, no matter what color their skin is. President Russell M. Nelson declared, the Lord has stressed his essential doctrine of equal opportunity for his children. Differences in culture, language, gender, race, and nationality fade into insignificance as the faithful enter the covenant path and come unto our beloved Redeemer. Okay, let's talk about this because it's very, very charged. I feel like this issue is very charged. Um, The darkness of the skin and the cursing coinciding. Okay, so here's, here's my thoughts on it. Yes, it talks about a skin, a mark of dark skin that came upon the Lamanites, but we don't fully understand it. Okay, even Come Follow Me says the nature and appearance of this mark are not fully understood. So what if it doesn't necessarily mean the color of their skin? What if it's something that was just kind of like all over them like skin was? Here's why I think that. Because have you ever met somebody and you just know right away like they're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Like you just know it because they kind of have like a light coming out of them? Or have you ever met somebody where you're like, oh, there's something going on in their life and I'm just not sure what it is, but there's like a darkness about them? Have you ever had that experience? I know I've had that experience where I'm like, oh, (laughs) like I'm watching a TV show and I'm like, oh, yes, that guy is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it turns out then, yes, he is, right? So, I mean, we've all had the experience where we can like kind of recognize that light or the dimming of that light in each other. What if somehow the Lord made it where they were more sensitive? to that. You know, that's just my interpretation. That's just gospel according to Lexi. But that's kind of what I thought as I read that just because I don't know, that's just such a charged issue. And I don't even want to get too deep into it or far off what, you know, we've read there, but I don't know, just think about it and pray about it for yourself. I'm going to go ahead and end this episode now. So thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for hanging out with me. I hope you have a wonderful week. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. You can also find me on Instagram. Comments or questions? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. 
Thank you for listening.